Fine, and this is Pod 2112, the official podcast of the 2112 Group, where we talk with industry executives, thought leaders, and influencers about the trends shaping the industry and the world around us. Artificial intelligence, machine learning, fog computing, and edge computing are shaping an emerging marketplace. Venture capitalists uncover and cultivate new companies that will help shape the digital future. Without this support, we might not see innovations come to fruition in the marketplace to the extent they can without the right financial and resource backing. Joining us today is Mike Dolbeck, Managing Director, Venture Capital and Corporate Business Development of GE Ventures and GE Digital. His ventures team focuses on the industrial uses of big data, IoT, edge computing, cybersecurity, machine intelligence, and cloud infrastructure. Mike joined GE from LG Electronics, where he led venture capital and innovation activities. Prior to that, he led the venture capital groups at Orange, 3M, and IBM. He's also co-founded an award-winning mobile internet startup and sold it to Earthlink. Mike began his investment career at Kleiner Perkins and Greylock. His early investments include Juniper Networks and Extreme, just to name a few. And with that, Mike Dolbeck. Welcome to Pod 2112. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad I made it here through all the traffic. <laughs> you know, if you just had that autonomous car, you know, we could have, you could have multitasked the whole way here. Definitely. I, yes, I used to have a boss who had a driver and I laughed at that, but now I understand why. Because I got <laughs> work done, you know, one hour down, one hour back to San Francisco. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that, that's pure quality of life right there. Yeah, it is. Um, so we think about the the market of IoT and all of the devices and technologies that make up IoT. So the big question that we'll start with is, what is a total total addressable market, and um, where is it going to go? It's a great question to ask. Uh, I don't think that. Uh, there's plenty of analyst reports that purport to address that. It's a big number. Uh, it's in the billions. Uh, I remember when I first joined GE, it was GE software then, now GE Digital. Um, that was the first time I saw a forecast that had a trillion in it. And I thought, this must be a mistake. There's too many zeros. And they said, no, that's, you know, that's not a mistake. Um, so I don't know how big the absolute number is, but it's extraordinarily large. I've seen um, most credible forecasts tend to do it as a percentage of global GDP, which itself mm -hmm. is a humongous number. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of money to be made. There's an incredible amount of um, monetizable data uh, that could be sensed and moved and analyzed and then provide valuable outcomes for it. So, well, you, you know, what's interesting is you say, right, there is an incredible amount of money to be made. Um, and so when you <clears throat> think about desirable investments you know, that you and your, and your team look at, what are some of those characteristics? I and mean, maybe we'll get into some of those opportunities as well and what that looks like. The characteristics of the make an interesting investment? Of, exactly. Or an interesting company? Or an interesting company. Let's hope a profitable uh, investment in an interesting company. <laughs> right. Um, what I tend to look for is uh, there are most of these kinds of companies are sponsored by uh, 
very talented people with engineering backgrounds. So they're problem solvers. They can think of a technical problem and think of a solution. Um, what they're often not so uh, in touch with is the value of solving that problem. Um, and so the kinds of companies that we look for, the kinds that I get really excited about are, yeah, they solve some technical problem, but they also, it's acknowledged somewhere that um, there's an economic value to the problem that they're solving, that more than one company has it. You know, uh, sometimes you find people that solve an interesting technical problem, but there's only two customers. Right. There's a very niche market of applicability. Right. And it's ex it's extraordinarily common in IoT because of the breadth of use cases that um, just because you solve one problem for one company, it doesn't mean that that's always transferable to other adjacent uh, situations. So it's... There isn't one IoT market, is what I like to say. There is a huge variety of verticals right now. It's not like the PC market or the mobile phone market where everybody has an iPhone or an Android device. It's it's more like there's millions of different kinds of devices. With, with no their own unique architectures and platforms that maybe a more of a systems integrator would be able to come in and, and create that interoperability, yeah. Yeah. so for, to speak. For right? better or worse, it's very challenging for an entrepreneur, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not, you can't run the same playbook. And so the difficulty is, I'm not trying to dismiss the solving the technical problem part, but the which cluster of people have roughly the same problem and have money and want to pay for it uh, solution is usually a bigger problem. And how do I find those people? Yeah, that is my question. How, how, how do you find those people? How do you find those entrepreneurs who have gone through at least a portion of that exercise and said, hey, um, this is our solution that we think is viable to the market. And, and how do you go about finding those folks out there? GE Ventures has a pretty high profile in this space. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have two unfair advantages. One is we have a lot of customers in a wide variety of industries. Mm -hmm. And they tell us what their challenges are. And you know, we can read between the lines and try and understand how IoT or getting the data from IoT would make that better. Um, GE Ventures has pretty high profile, as I said. So um, we have people approaching us all the time with these ideas. We talk to other venture capitalists who, there are no venture capitalists who are completely omniscient, right? So we're all trying to ask each other. Except for you. What do you think? No, definitely not me. Uh, what, what do you think about this company and their customer set and when they have a market? Usually it's not too tough to figure out who your customers might be, it's often, it requires a lot of expertise to say when there'll be enough market to support a business. So exactly. we see a lot of companies that are features essentially and not necessarily businesses yet because there's not enough market to make. Right. The, and, and it's the, you know, the crystal ball on your desk that uh, anticipates future market needs. Right, um, you know, thinking about there might, be, as you just said, those feature sets, but there might not be a market yet. Uh, right. But there is that predictability that there's the possibility it will be there. It, it, 
it's surprised me, given the exposure I have to different markets, it still surprises me when uh, one of my investments starts to accelerate and starts to get demand from some segment I wouldn't have expected. Um, building automation, smart buildings, has turned out to be a very interesting market for entrepreneurs. Not because they, well, they have a lot of data, but they also have passed their threshold of pain and they're looking for a solution. Uh, and it seems to have happened on mass. So there are individual owners of buildings and people who own not fleets of buildings, but a real estate company that owns a, a large group of buildings. Sure. And they're all looking for the solution. So uh, I would not have predicted that IoT market to have ripened, but I'm happy that it has. And so other people are starting to follow that set. You know, right now there's a handful of telco providers and the handful of, you know, really An specialized oligarchy. Yeah. oligarchy of it, right? <clears throat> I mean, in the far, far future, something that that's, Will there be, oh. do you think that there's going to be that much of a specialization occurring, um, just given the complex nature of these solutions? I could certainly see that there's some consolidation mm -hmm. or, or like a bulge bracket of really large companies who can sustain the effort and provide all the handholding and build yes. bespoke solutions for people. And they will try and go it alone, but they'll prefer to speed up and go faster be, through the help of startups and specialists. So um, most of my portfolio has conversations going with um, some part of GE and with AWS and with Azure and you know all the other usual mm -hmm. suspects mm -hmm. because uh, those larger companies already have existing customers and they have account coverage there and they can sustain an engagement where a small company really can't afford to acquire a customer if it takes 10 years. But they can show up and play a role as part of somebody's larger project. So, mm -hmm. you know, a thousand startups can't afford to build a thousand sales forces. No, so, and all come to market and, at the same time. And we've already heard from the very largest customers who really either aren't uh, willing to engage with startups or aren't very skilled at it, that mm -hmm. they it's very difficult for some random startup to engage with a super major oil company. I mean, skill uh, who, set, resources. Well, who do you talk to and, and why should they care and how do you even find that name? And, and so it's difficult to plan a company's growth around that. It, it, it may take a while before you build some beachhead and then get good at that. So often, I, I guess there are channels to market that are forming. In some sense, we represent a channel to market to our customers and other customers who are similar to ours. Uh, so it helps to have a friend uh, or somebody with a channel that can introduce you. You have to more or less generate some credibility with these customers. And most of the time, in, particularly in industrial situations, remember we're I deal almost exclusively with industrial, not with uh, the wider enterprise world. The premium on uh, safety and compliance and business continuity almost excludes novelty. 
as a strategy. So they don't really want to meet anybody new that that might cause a risk. Okay. Uh, what they really want to do is maybe what grow kind their of risk business. Would that cause? Somebody yeah. could die. Okay. So that's a pretty substantial risk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When your mom's <laughs> on a plane flying from A to B, you don't want some unexpected event that is right. um, you know, very dangerous to happen. You want everything to go according to plan. So you probably don't want random updates to the way that the plane and its systems work um, to be done. In flight. Um, without a lot of testing and without that sort of supreme priority that does not make things worse. It doesn't make it riskier. And that's it sort of all works against the, the usual playbook that startups have, which is, hey, I'm new, try me. We'll make some progress here and I'll diminish that risk for a while. So I'm not saying that people die when you work with startups, <laughs> which sounds too extreme. <laughs> it is a little extreme, that's it. But I am saying that that's, yeah. you have to understand that's the mindset, right? right? Of a yeah. very conservative company that mm-hmm. can't afford to uh, work with you if it means that there's some larger risk that affects their business. Once you get through that, then you kind of understand at least what's in their mind when they're talking to a small company. So most small companies seem like, oh my God, why am I bothering? This is too complicated. I want somebody else to make, you know, vet all these companies, make it safe for me, just make the solution so that I, I don't have to worry about it. Get the sponsor. Right. And and in the industrial world, anyway, for the largest companies, it's very difficult for startups to approach them. You have to kind of, I don't know, go off Broadway before you bring your show to Broadway. Succeed in Hartford or whatever off Broadway is (laughs) for startups. So we talk about getting to market, um, adopting solutions with a, you know, so to speak, sponsorship model. And um, what are the economic benefits that businesses can expect when they do decide to adopt these IoT technologies? I think that for the most part and for the time being, we're talking about cost reduction and productivity, which is a form of cost reduction, mm-hmm. right? Do more work with the same amount of resources. I think GE changed the industrial world's mindset by, it was one of the first people that helped the rest of the world understand that with a little bit of data comes from IoT mm-hmm. together with some expertise which comes from people, you can drastically reduce the cost of operating stuff, which goes to the bottom line. Exactly. Uh, or at least reduce unplanned downtime, which is a major part of the cost. So most IoT projects that I'm familiar with with large industries are motivated by saving money. There's a few that are make money, but not as much yet as you'd think. I think it's easier right now to find ways to to cut costs and be more productive. Uh, and it requires a little bit more creativity and risk-taking to get into the make money part. Okay. And do you see that changing um, as adopting these kind of solutions becomes more commonplace, right? And so the focus shifts from cost savings to more of a creative solution set. Yes, I, I do. It's, uh, it, I think it's even harder for a startup to figure out how to participate there. Um, so I'm basing my answer on what I've seen GE 
accomplish when they work with a customer. So sometimes we will um, either propose that the outcome of this engagement is a better business outcome. You know, you'll generate more electricity than you used to from your wind farm is the classic example. Okay. The next step after that is don't pay us until we deliver that improved outcome for you. But when we do, we want to share in the upside. So essentially, we'll guarantee an improvement. Mm -hmm. uh, and if we do, and only if we do, you will share some of that improvement with us. That's where I think it's very difficult for a startup to have the resources to do that. Yeah. Because you're taking a lot of the operational risk on yourself. It's, it's a pretty big double down. Um, um, there are some, I think Relayer, together with Munich Re, uh, has proposed, um, it's called OEE Improvement Insurance. So basically it's, you run your factory a certain way today. What would it be worth it to you if it was more efficient? Or rather, you, you would agree that it would be better if it was more efficient. So what if we helped you achieve that efficiency and, and uh, you know, just let us install all this IoT gear to get the data back so that we can make intelligent uh, observations about what's going on and help you improve your efficiency. Uh, I think those models are fantastic if you can get there. Um, but it takes a little while to become that legitimate in the eyes of the customer. And, and by the way, it the IoT and the the stuff and the data is sort of the what you have to do to get to where you really want to go, which is do something with the data you you um, you sensed and make some valuable observation about it. Right, and there's a lot of data that's being produced. Some of it's dirty, uh, and some of it's usable. Would you say that's a pretty fair statement? I, well, in our world, industrial world, it's extraordinarily dirty, missing, or bad values. Mm -hmm. um, and more so, I think, than in traditional data-first companies like Google and Facebook, there's more time. It's, it's at least 80% up front trying to wrangle the data into some form that's useful for analytics later. Mm -hmm. It's... Um, it's why we invested in a variety of companies to do that. It's why we bought a couple of companies to do that, to accelerate our own, to make ourselves product, uh, more productive. Uh, oh. it's, it's, I think it's a worse or a, a bigger challenge. I don't know if it's worse, but it's, it's both a challenge and an opportunity in the industrial world because there's so much more data and real-world world data. Can't, maybe I should take a sip of coffee. <laughs> real-world data is much more complex and dirty, mm -hmm. in air quotes, Yes, um, because of all the crazy things that can happen as you sense it, than uh, the clickstream from you know, people choosing sweaters on the right, web. Which is clear and intentional. It's a little more constrained. I mean, I'm sure it's go. somewhat dirty, but not nearly as bad. What are some of the more exciting, promising technologies uh, that you've seen out there? Well, this is from my perspective, which sure. is, you know, I'm sort of an IoT nerd, so you got to take it with a grain of salt. I think that there are a wide variety now of relatively, many of the techniques for acquiring data and sensing it one place and moving it to some other place are kind of a commodity mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Um, the, 
the next step that we see has to do with the problems that come from a real-world deployment uh, at scale. You know, it's one thing if you have, I'm looking at the microphone on mm -hmm. your table, right? It's a complex device and it, you have to set it up and make sure it is connected to your laptop so this podcast works. That's and there's a sort of certain amount of, yeah, hopefully we don't have to re-record this, but uh, there was a certain amount of setup effort associated with that. But it doesn't scale well. So if in order to do 10,000 podcasts at once, it would be more complicated, right? And maybe a million podcasts at once, it really wouldn't be a good solution at all. And so I guess the point I'm trying to make is that the, the real world problems that we're seeing have to do with solving the, okay, I got 10,000 edge gateways that I want to deploy and I want to provision so I know what they are. I need to manage them later to know that most of them are working. I need to know which ones I need to aren't working or I need to go address. I, maybe there's a new firmware update that I need to push out to them. Um, so there are issues of provisioning and management. What if and all of scale? Uh, usually they happen at scale. They're yeah. not rocket science if you think about things one at a time, but they become. It's very similar to the way data networking evolved. Right? What happens if they all want to talk at once? That's probably not going to be successful either. So I keep harking back to my days as a data networking investor. And um, there were solutions for management of a zillion things and quality of service for things so that certain traffic had higher priority over others. And and security of traffic. How do you know that the data you're receiving from your device hasn't been altered? Exactly, which is going to be a huge topic. I don't want to derail us yeah. too much on that one. But So there's the issues of data at rest in an edge device in use as it's sensed. How do you know that your sensor isn't being spoofed? How do you know mm -hmm. that the, you know, how do you even know that the thing you're managing is what it says it is and it's not just pretending it's there? Yeah. Um, and all of those issues get much more complicated at scale, but they also, if you can solve them, are the sort of key last barrier to, to deploying things at scale and making them work. Uh, and I think that's the, again, that's one of those key mindset insights for the industrial world that people need to understand it. They don't rarely do, you know, the POC is maybe one or two things at a time, but the real world is the 10,000 things work for a long time and don't break and don't cause things to be less safe than they used to be. Exactly. Um, so question though is, you know, when we get to that POC point, we know that they do test smaller. Why not take it to a larger test environment and really stress it to the max? What, well, what's I think that's, with that? uh, well, other than the things I, I mentioned before. <laughs> so most POCs that I'm familiar with are, relatively constrained mm -hmm. and it's the um, you know second order POC let's see if this works at any scale beyond one beyond one right <laughs> you know where where are the issues there what's the where's the management console for you know how do I upgrade my 10,000 things um, uh, we've seen a few trials like that where people are deploying and and that's where these sort of weak spots or opportunities for companies to address that start to come out. 
Does that answer your question? I wasn't sure it, if that's what you were it's, thinking. It's, it's, we're, we're, we're getting there. You know, it, it's kind of the, um, in my mind, it's the, there's a progression, right? A progression of, of the testing that comes in <clears throat> uh, from other conversations. Uh, when I think about getting these solutions to market um, is they do really well in one and then one to 50, but when they get into a, you know, use case of a hundred or into a larger grade Agreed. enterprise, um, they have different they problems, say, right? Back, back to the lab for more testing. Um, I was talking to one of my uh, CEOs uh, yesterday and more or less, he was saying something like, uh, our initial architecture worked pretty well in a small scale. And then when we started to scale it past a certain point, as our customers were testing it in larger and larger deployments, we found that, I'm abstracting here, uh, yeah. but the, the things were spending more time checking in after they had lost communication. Uh, and they spent, and so less work was getting done because the system was tied up trying to more or less reconnect with things and re-authenticate to them yeah. and not uh, in full operation with all the things connected mm -hmm. and humming away. So it gradually bogged down, it got slower and slower and slower. So they have to, they are re-architecting to keep that in mind. So they're, they're really issues of scale that most people don't test for yet. Uh, there's no, I don't know, maybe the industrial Identifiable threshold to say, you know, I don't know if the Industrial Internet Consortium test beds uh, are starting to approach that, but you know, at best, they're testing things on a, a sort of small land scale, tens of units thing. Not well in industrial uh, ICS cybersecurity, we've already heard of issues where uh, many of the vendors that you're familiar with, their cybersecurity systems, run into communication problems at scale. More than a hundred unit, more than a hundred, say nodes out there. So okay. it kind of defeats the purpose because if you want to deploy in an oil and gas uh, refinery, there's a lot more than a hundred endpoints. Absolutely, and so we'll, we'll reach a, um, a a cap for yeah. a time being. Um, anyway, and to wind the question back, yeah. I think the most exciting things I see they're not, you know, sexy, but there are. After you can do basic things in IoT, the next most exciting thing is prove you can keep doing those at scale and keep the system running uh, and not fail because it's you know, too big and too distributed and spends too much time trying to coordinate with itself. Uh, the far-flung things that I think are exciting are, I think they're roughly equivalent to load balancing. So uh, here's a problem, a, com a compute problem. Normally you do it in one place in the cloud. Okay. How about automatically deciding how to split it up and distribute it to whatever resources are out there so it gets the job done. And I don't have to worry about telling that edge node to do this and this edge node to do that and when they're done report back here and then that thing when it's done report someplace else. That's kind of the state of edge computing today is it's kind of a handcrafted solution and you decide how the compute happens and who reports to who. So uh, flattening. Uh, more of an autonomous uh, uh, automatic distribution of compute is probably the right way. Distributed okay. computing is 
a very complex problem, but some people are starting to address that. That'd be exciting to see those come to market. It would, and it certainly helps at scale, right? When you have exactly. hundreds of things that decide on their own how to handle a workload, that's important. The first set of people that are likely to have their world rocked are the public cloud vendors, which are discovering that their economics are very expensive. And so they, they all have uh, edge stories today, mm-hmm. and they will rapidly evolve those as people figure out that they don't have to send all the data to the cloud and pay for it. They don't have to do all the compute there and pay for it. And then in many cases, it's a better solution to not do that, but yet you still want to use the cloud when it's appropriate. And I think they have yet to, they've always been the sort of center of their own attention for so long. It's hard for them. a power shift. Well, it's just hard for them to get their heads around what if, people chose not to use the cloud because they've never had to worry about that. And I think you'll see their strategies continue to evolve to address that. That will be, those will be interesting times. Yes, it Um, certainly is. It's -hmm. it's that way already. And there you have it. You found another reason of how you can venture into the fog by listening to us talk with Mike Dolbeck here on Pod 2112. I want to thank our guest, Mike Dolbeck of GE Digital and GE Venture. And thank all of you for joining us on Pod 2112, a production of the 2112 Group, a business research and strategy firm. Join us again when we talk with industry executives, thought leaders, and influencers about the market and world around us. Don't miss a single episode of Pod 2112. Why would you? Subscribe today on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.